Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This week's episode has a trigger warning for potentially upsetting subject matter. Check the show notes at www.bitchesoncomics.com to find out more. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century, and today we have a special guest, Chingy Nia. Welcome, Chingy. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. (laughs) All things considered. I'm just excited you're here. I am also excited to be here and talk about comics. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yeah. Oh, where can we find you online? I write for a bunch of different publications online because I'm a freelancer. Right now, I'm semi-regularly contributing to Kotaku, and on social media, I'm the gay chingy. Perfect. (laughs) The gay chingy, to be clear. Yes. And I like that. Like chingy, but the gay one. Very succinct. <laughs> it's perfect. Every time I see you tweet, I'm like, "All oh, right, right, right." Yeah, no one's confused <laughs> I about know exactly who, I am. who that is. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, oh, which who is it? Oh, it's Chingy, the gay one." Got it. All right, good. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Check plus. Check plus. Well, we are just like super stoked to have you here today. We know that you have like so many cool things to talk about, and I have like a billion questions. Do you want to start with like a certain title that we read all together, or what are you feeling? Oh, <laughs> I read like so so many comics for this, and reread a bunch of comics for mm-hmm. this. I also um, read that. Yes. Well, if you have a preference, please let me know. But I was thinking maybe start with Catwoman, her sister's keeper. That seems like a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. So I read that comic very recently. I've written about it a couple of times, mostly in context to other subject matter. But I think that the comic is really good. And it kind of tells you all of this stuff, maybe that, you know, year one didn't teach us about Selena. It's kind of in some ways, Selena's like year two, but it's before the year one. So it's all kind of (laughs) a very interesting story. It's written by Mindy Newell who is great so good but yeah what did you think of this comic was this the first time you had read it or this was the first time I had read it and at first I didn't know how sold I was on it uh mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> okay she's got a pimp okay because right Mr. Very and to be fair that feeling hung out a bit throughout it mm-hmm, but yeah. also I liked it I thought it was fun I thought it definitely I mean, I don't know if fun's... No, it's fun sometimes. Yeah, her and hang yeah. out with... Uh, was it Holly? Holly. I love yeah. Holly so Holly. much. I think Holly is great. <laughs> Holly is like my favorite part of this. Their dynamic throughout it, their like big sister, little sister dynamic was so great. Yeah, they're so cute. And then Holly, I don't know if either of you read the later Catwoman, but Holly comes back a bunch. The um, Joelle Jones? I don't think I've seen Holly in the Joelle Jones one unless I read in like little chunks. So I, I don't remember. I might be like spacing it. But she comes back in, I believe, like the Brew Baker run. She's kind of 
there through like DC's countdown event. <laughs> she goes to like she goes to Themyscira, and it's really sad because she's there with Harley Quinn, and yet it manages to be just one of the straightest takes on <laughs> Themyscira I've ever seen. And I'm like, come on, Holly Robinson, oh, like finally gets to go somewhere <laughs> good and like be queer. And Harley and Themyscira, like Harley would be fucking losing it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. She loves big women. That's like her thing. She's like Amazons. <laughs> I've I'm never leaving again. They eventually just kind of go. Oh, I guess we'll go back to Gotham. And I was like, this is garbage. <laughs> I was very upset. Um, but yeah, Holly comes back a bunch, and she's great. I always love her. I think that Catwoman kind of is a character that's hard to have a supporting cast for, and having Holly just be kind of this consistent recurring cast member for her, I think is just really amazing. And also it's interesting because she leaves her at a nunnery kind of or whatever at yeah. the end. She's like, you'll be fine. This will stop you from doing sex work. <laughs> Goodbye. I'll leave All you you've known is liter- sex work. Enjoy the nuns. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with this group of literal nuns, which is something that I would like to see explored because as I said, she comes out as queer later. So I'm like, what are you doing in the nunnery, Holly? <laughs> like, what's up? <laughs> we kind of just jumped right in. We didn't talk about the fact like, okay, so we're talking about this is the story that really explores Catwoman's sex working history. Highs and lows. <laughs> uh, there are things that I thought were really incredible about it. Some things that I was like, does a nipple need to be in this scene? But you know, why not? Nipples are great. So uh, yeah, I felt like mixed and all over, but I thought I haven't read much Catwoman to be fair. I'm not the biggest DC haven't. fan. Not personal, just, you know, (laughs) a little personal. And yeah, I just thought that it was pretty incredible in in the characterization and sort of letting Selena have these resonances and these complexities with her relationships with the people around her that I thought was really incredible. How did you feel about the fact that like the cat suit started as like this thing a guy was making her wear and then like becomes her, her sort of armor in her vigilante, it's not really vigilante, but you know what I mean, her like iconic cat suit. Yeah, I thought, you know, as a pervert and a former sex worker, I thought that was weird. Uh, <laughs> I I didn't love it. I also thought that it was an ugly cat costume. <laughs> I was like, out of all the fetish wear cat costumes, like you went as realistic feline face as possible. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I like how she just goes fully into it. And like the first time you see her, she like, there's a speech balloon that just says hiss. And I'm like, I, <laughs> yeah. I love picturing a grown woman in a cat costume, just hissing it, not even hissing, just saying the word hiss for a very long amount of time, trying to be menacing. So I imagine she wasn't very menacing at first. Um <laughs> Holly is not too freaked out by her. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, what? She's like, what are you doing there? (laughs) Uh, I think my favorite part of this comic was definitely getting to see a bunch of sex workers jump Bruce Wayne in a really bad wig. (laughs) And and what I can only assume was like a terrible, like, Boston accent because he was undercover or something. (laughs) Uh, That was my favorite part. Just watching them like stab Bruce Wayne in the leg, hit him, and that was great. Yeah, did anybody read 
Batman Year One, where this is kind of the continuation of her story there. No, I, I hadn't read it. Yeah, it's like, you know, a Frank Miller comic. Choose your own adventure. But <laughs> she... I read is, it. I read Year One a while ago. Mm-hmm. She yes, pops I did. up in, in that a lot. And that's kind of the basis of, you know, she's... That's where Stan first pops up, like, you know, all of that. So it's kind of strange to watch it because I feel like it gives her a lot more autonomy in a lot of ways, but then also has these kind of simplistic fixes for things where it's just kind of like you have a ward and they, you know, are having problems. You should just drop them off at a nunnery and then like they'll be fine. Um, (laughs) Or the fact that like the cops are the good guys in this. And I'm just like, that really doesn't. Yeah, that's that I definitely. That doesn't represent the experience of sex workers from what i know i don't think that that's correct at all yeah i didn't love uh how heavily cops figured into it yeah it just like men are solving not solving her problems but are like teaching her how to solve all her own problems and it's right, like yeah. a little tiring just paternalistic a lot of the time but mm-hmm. when she gets to do stuff i i enjoyed the like bits of action and I'm not against killing pimps I'm like for (laughs) like I've never said I was against killing pimps I'm very for killing pimps it's just like (laughs) to be clear (laughs) enough enough with the killing pimps as a trope it's eh Right, right, right. right. Yeah, and I mean, Stan, you know, we could have lived without this guy. (laughs) He's not fun to read at all. He looks like Tombstone with a bad hat. Is all I thought when I saw him. I was like, is this Tombstone? What's he doing? (laughs) I think after this, they struggle because I, that's kind of why I read this one and was surprised in some ways to be like, oh, this is actually kind of a good representation because it doesn't villainize her, you know, like it doesn't make it be like this dark period of her past or anything like that you know it's kind of her stepping into something better I guess but then it also is like yeah all of the problematic aspects that you see in almost all of the comics (laughs) that feature sex workers are definitely present but it gets worse surprisingly going forward which is strange (laughs) it it really gets like nothing but worse until Mm -hmm. last year (laughs) yeah it It's like even the stuff that's good because you have, you know, in the Brubaker run or something, you have Holly comes back, Catwoman is advocating for other sex workers, but is also very judgy that Holly's still doing it, which is really awkward Mm. because it's like, I've dropped you off at the nunnery. (laughs) Like, why why aren't you fixed? You know, like kind of attitude from Selena where you're just like, dear God, Selena. Yeah, it's still... uh, precipates on basically sex workers are getting murdered and selena has to step in and it's just like written by a guy so none of it is great but yeah i don't know it's very interesting how like they did just kind of drop off with catwoman because you know chuck dixon was writing her for 50 issues or something that guy's like super right wing you just see all of these choices that are made with this character where it's just like well she kind of doesn't really have a chance to explore this of her life ever pretty much in a way that is positive i guess yeah i actually had no idea that i'm embarrassed of this that catwoman had any history in sex work until you told me about it oh wow yeah but you shouldn't be embarrassed of that because that's something that they i believe constantly kind of try to brush under the rug a lot of writers just don't address it whatsoever and if they do it's totally her being like I don't know, Holly, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, her tone towards it later 
certainly wouldn't indicate that she, you know, had any kind of experience with it, I think. I liked how 80s it was. Yeah, it's super, super 80s. It was very 80s. Which I know is like a ridiculous thing to like about something from that era, but I was into it. And I thought that like the hairstyles were really incredible. (laughs) And uh, Andy, again, was the person who completely represented on that front. So good. So good. I liked that Catwoman's kind of catty, right? Like not catty, like cruel, but like catty, like cat like. I was watching the Harley Quinn animated series and they had the episode with Catwoman in it and she was delightful in it. I need to start watching that. And I like that a lot of the panels are her like, she's crawling up a fire escape and she's like <laughs> slinking across a roof line and like yeah. you just get like the um, negative space of it, the silhouette. And I really enjoyed that in the comic. I thought the art was pretty fun. Again, I don't know about the, the extraneous nipples, but again, I don't have a problem with nipples. So I don't know. I feel mixed about that part. But yeah, all in all, I was like, this is for 1989, what I suspect is like relatively positive considering what we've seen elsewhere. In comics since then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you look across on either side, basically, you're it's like from hell. Like, you know, you have like yeah. all of these takes where you're just kind of like, well, that didn't get better. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> Which is a great segue. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that Mindy Newell was working as a nurse um, in the middle of New York whenever she wrote this. So I always kind of try to, whenever I'm reading her stuff, because she also wrote a Lois Lane story that's called Whenever It Rains, God is Crying. So also very uh, upbeat. And (laughs) I think that um, whenever I think of her writing, I always try to remember, like, this is somebody who did really see some really messed up stuff whenever she was, you know, just going into a regular job. Not that that changes anything. It's just an observation. Um, what what was the seg? That you oh, were I was going to segue to talking about Uncanny X Men three ninety nine. Oh, we're like, wow. let's talk about some garbage. Yeah, that's okay. A big let's old talk about sign. some garbage, right? <laughs> and the diamond that was found in that garbage that is still treated like garbage. Yeah, uh, what is up yeah. with that, Stacy X? <laughs> you deserved better. The X Ranch, right? Yes. When was the first time you read this comic? I think the first time I read it was maybe in middle school. It was def- it definitely had been out before then, but uh-huh. I remember reading it and instantly loving it. Uh-huh. Um, and now I feel very differently about it. Sure. <laughs> Cuz I was back then I was just like cool sex workers. And yeah. now I'm like cool sex workers wait this ending isn't good oh no 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 it is hilarious to me that the paragons of virtue in this comic are archangel nightcrawler and iceman i'm just like (laughs) oh are you gonna go tell people how to live their lives right now is that what's happening (laughs) this entire concept which could be amazing and Yeah, it's like they just kind of show up and they're like, we're going to put the kibosh on that and you can come with us (laughs) if you act like I decide you can act, you know, or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, it definitely takes a turn. You're like, oh, are they going to go to a sexy ranch? (laughs) Yeah, and they'll have a fun time and then it's like, oh, no, they, they, they go there. It's not a it's not really that fun. No, they have an emphatically not fun time. And what is most important is is that they make everybody who's just trying to do their damn jobs not have a fun time either. So it's like... Uh, at the very least, at the worst, they fucking murder them. Yeah, no, it's, it's nuts. It's terrible. It's really, it, yeah, 
it's not a great time for anyone. I <laughs> I made a joke a while ago about watching Parasite and stopping an hour in as a treat. Uh, <laughs> for this, that would be like reading Uncanny 399 and just stopping 10 pages in. Like, <laughs> oh, look, this, there's a great brothel full of mutants. And these women get paid <laughs> very well and they have a great time. That's it. Close the book. Nothing else happens. <laughs> Fire-breathing madame, beautiful, fat woman. Like, so much to love. Like, I was like, when we were, like, doing the tour where they're like, you know, oh, here's the guy, blah, blah, blah. He came from L.A. Let's be secretive and weird. Whatever. <laughs> it was, like, really fun being like, look at all these neat characters who, like, you know, the X-Men are always like, we have it harder than anyone of mutant kind. Yes. And then Callisto's like, knock, 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 hello, Morlocks. And everyone else <laughs> is like, knock, 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 hello, I have no money and I'm still a mutant. Like, what the fuck? So, you know, I liked that we got to see some of the other world. But then, yeah, it goes downhill so fast oh my god yeah i feel like they really just could have like i know that this was just all a setup for some weird arc and to introduce mm -hmm. a character they thought was wacky at the time it could have just been a really cool like fun one-off story where nobody got incinerated by uh the religious right that would have been great <laughs> what the oh my god. fuck <laughs> was that i'm like especially it's the religious right i like I have been talking about this comic now for like 10 minutes with you all. And I just now remembered that part and it like made me oh, really yeah. angry. They're, yeah. They just come in and they're like, you're all sinners. Oh um, God. Impure, and you need to be incinerated. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh dear. I hate it. So <laughs> there's like two narratives that tend to get pulled out the most and it's you're a victim and this is like trauma or you're like a vile temptress trying to seduce these men, turn them right. against each other or whatever. Like that was, I think, the oldest sex worker character I found in Marvel was Mantis. Steve Englehart was quoted on talking about Avengers 114 and saying, basically, Mantis was supposed to be a hooker who would join the Avengers and cause dissension amongst all the male members by coming on to each of them in turn. Right. Oh, fuck. And it's Mantis. You see people create these characters that are so much cooler than the writer knows, where you're yeah. just like, I love Mantis. Like, Mantis is such yeah, a Mantis badass character. She's so cool. You just see guys fall all over themselves trying to write her and, like, just doing such a bad job. It's because you don't fucking respect women. Like, you're just being <laughs> assholes. And Mantis doesn't deserve that. Mantis deserves to have great stories. She's like the celestial Madonna, um, <laughs> which is also like, what the <laughs> fuck? But... <laughs> So if you haven't heard, and I don't know how on earth you haven't heard, we are doing a very cool fiction project for Pride, aren't we, Sarah? Oh, yes. Yes, we are indeed. It's called Decoded Pride Anthology, and it's an online anthology, a story a day for every day of Pride Month. That means 30 stories and comics, all by LGBTQ plus creators, and they're all queer stories. And oh my God, they're so good. There's one about like a really loving mushroom. Uh... It's amazing. Oh, incel gets eaten by shark. <laughs> What's not to like about this? And the list goes on and on and on. 
There's so many cool stories here. It's all available online and we're still selling subscriptions. So it's only $15 for the entire month's stories. And at the end of the month, what do they get, Sarah? A PDF that collects all of the stories. And what's extra special about these stories that you're doing, Sarah? Oh, I am drawing a picture for every one of the stories that isn't a comic, because what sense would that make? But 28 stories get art by me. Original art by our own Sarah Century. Oh my god, this is such a cool project. Not only because, hey, that's a damn fine deal. 30 stories, that's 50 cents a piece for 15 bucks decodedpride.com but also because this is important it shows that there is an audience for lgbtq plus writing in the genre we know that there are so many people who want to write these stories trust me we read hundreds of them and we know that people want to read them so help us prove that come join us at decodedpride.com talk about safe sex are we ready for that i'm just so excited i want to talk about well we can talk about safe sex the concept and we can talk <laughs> about safe sex the book right yes yeah, sfsx yeah i think that you brought this comic up whenever we were on graphic policy talking yeah, about the comics, comics of, yeah yes yeah i read it after that after your recommendation and this comic is amazing holy shit it's great and i'm not just saying that because i'm friends with the writer it's really genuinely very very good and i love it i think it might be one of the best comics in existence i was gonna say the best and i was like mm, i don't want to hold myself to anything <laughs> so it's definitely one of the best comics in existence uh yeah i I'm obsessed. Like, I think about it probably every day. <laughs> there aren't any other comics like it on major labels. Like, no. literally, it's very, very unique. Right, yeah, because there's so many, like, bummer stories. Yes. <laughs> like, we just were talking about. And then you read something like this, and you're like, wow, all right, cool. I guess you could have just been doing this the we whole We could have just had this, but, but no. But now, yes. <laughs> Now, yes. Yeah. No, it's it's so great. I loved reading it. It was on Vertigo, I think, initially, right? And then it switches over to... Image. Yeah. So I wrote a piece about this. Uh, it was supposed to be on Vertigo, wasn't it? It was supposed to be on Vertigo when Vertigo relaunched. Mm -hmm. And then Batman's dick showed up in a comic. <laughs> Batman's placid <laughs> dick oh, I love this story. showed up in... Yeah, it's like, really, I wrote that article... Partially because I wanted to write it, but also partially because I was like, hey, I really want to write about the Batwang incident and how it's causing censorship. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yeah, Batman's Wang showed up in, in Batman Damned, and then nobody was actually mad about it, but then DC decided to get really prudish about it and erased it from the internet. Oh my god. Decided they were changing uh, the way that they were going to, like, they're like, I don't know if we want to release more mature comics. And then Second Coming by Mark Russell got moved to a different company. And then uh, Safe Sex moved to Image. Right. And wasn't, not to mention the unmentionable, but uh, Border Town was on that. Border Town well, was I on think. that. And, yeah. And that had its own. And then it gets like immediately canceled. Um, <clears throat> yeah. That was a strangely cursed <laughs> relaunch for Vertigo there. Yeah. That was wild. 
It was. And then like six months later, it's like, okay, we're not doing Vertigo like ever again. We're moving over to Black Label like, <laughs> and all of that. Um, yeah, what a strange, strange time that was, I guess, for DC. But then DC does that like constantly where you see them kind of go progressive direction and then they're like, no, 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 sorry. We didn't mean that. We're going to hire Sean Gordon Murphy. Like, oh <laughs> sorry, we're going to backtrack. Um yeah, how strange. But I'm glad that it found a new home. Yeah, Image seems like a much better fit for it, given like that the first page had an orgy with fisting on it. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, yeah, that seems like a better fit for Image, honestly. Yeah, it's such a good comic. It's so nice to have it just be... I mean, there's all of this chaotic stuff happening, but then I'm also just like, yeah, this is all normal and healthy and good. (laughs) They all have issues in their lives, but there's no, as you say, like paternalistic narrative over it, kind of. So it just ends up being this really kind of great and fun to read comic. And once again, is totally groundbreaking. Regardless, maybe it shouldn't be groundbreaking in the year 2020, but it really is. Like, There's just so much bad narratives, you know, so you just end up like I said, whenever I opened this comic and it's, I was like, oh my God, there's just so many, there's a lot of sexy comics in the world, but then there's not this comic. <laughs> like right. This comic is so much emphasis on autonomy as the title would indicate consent. I loved it so much just based on those things because there's just been such a, I mean, it's great by itself. But then if you look at this greater history of how bad things have been, you know, as far as narratives around sex work go, then it's just, oh, wow, this is a whole new thing. This is, I mean, I hope to God opening a lot of doors for a lot of people right now in their minds, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, Yeah, no, it's really amazing that this comic is being made. I come from, come to reading this from a perspective of like, this is about a community I've known forever. Like me and Tina both came up, San Francisco Bay Area, queer sex worker scene. There are so many little references to sex worker culture or porn or leather dykes uh, throughout the book that it can just seem like random asides to some people but feel so meaningful to me personally because they're like related to my their parts of my culture showing up in a mainstream comic book it's been really cool getting to see like everybody's reactions to this kind of story because I knew it was really good but I was really unsure are people going to people who aren't sex workers going to be really into this comic and yeah they are and it's they should be because it's really good and it's so overdue I know what's not to love it's about a fucking fascist society that feels relatable that is repressing sexuality (laughs) that feels relatable and punishing people of color that feels relatable and sex workers that feels relatable but there's so much people power, right? I always talk about that in books, like the, the difference between, you know, superpowers and people power. And this is really about people power. It's it's people who are sex workers who have been treated like shit by society, even more so now with this regime taking over, this repressive regime. And, and they they figure out ways to keep themselves alive and to keep each other alive and to free each other, even when in the face of like not even being able to. I think so much about the gender non-conforming character who has their ability to feel pleasure taken away by the fucking psycho guy. Oh, Denise. Yeah. And I think a lot about them and how this they're able to find some semblance of connection, even when they can't have access to that very human, real experience of pleasure. And then, you know, as they sort of grapple with things as a, a team and sort of 
topple or not. You have to read it. This regime, it's pretty, you know, I'm like, oh, spoiler. Uh, but it's just really incredible to see how resilient they all are. And then also what they can't deal with, you know, like what the things that do break them, the things that make them have to compromise or make different decisions. I don't know. It's just like such a, it's like all the revolutionary spirit I love in something about people power and just applied so directly to sex work in such an affirmational way. And I, I just fucking loved it. Every character is so fucking good. Even the ones I hate with the fire of a thousand suns. I'm like, that's a really fucking good character, you know? Like, it's so good. Yeah, a lot of the time I think, oh man, safe sex is so funny and wow, safe sex is so horny. But also like, safe sex is really scary. They're like Fuck going yeah. for deep psychological, cultural fears that a lot of queer people have and sex workers have and just like getting to the root of a lot of our culture's issues, which is what good horror should do a lot of the time. I'm like good, a good dystopian story. I hear people sometimes compare it to Handmaid's Tale and I was like, I don't think that that's necessarily the dystopia. For me personally, I always <laughs> say it's basically 1984 if it was horny police instead of thought police is really what <laughs> yeah, it is. Exactly. It's all about like controlling what you can find pleasure in. Very, yeah, against our own autonomy and our sexuality and gender. Well, I like that it's, you know, I, I, I him is still cool. Do your thing. I like that it is, it's not for me. I like that it is, it is so distinctly queer. It is so distinctly sex work. It is so distinctly anti-fascist. It is all of those things so specifically. And it comes even down to like the color palettes, like the different colors the characters are wearing. The outfits, like you were saying, the nods to sex workers. And I can't remember what the symbol is of, but the umbrella. The red umbrella. Yeah, I remember reading in your article how important that is in the sex worker community in San Francisco. Uh, Yeah, just all over. It's the uh, symbol for sex workers' rights. There you go. And it's like, fuck, this is so carefully wrought. Like, I want to see the scripts, right? Like, I want to know what Tina Horn, like, sent to the artist whose name I'm totally spacing. Um, Michael Dowling for the first two, for one, two, and four. It's Alejandra Gutierrez for three, and it's Jen Hickman for five through seven. I'm not looking at it. I just somehow remembered that. <laughs> I'm very impressed. It sounded like you remembered it, not like you were looking it up. Um, yeah, and I, I just want to like, mm, what's in that script? Like, a, there just has to be so much, you know, like to to get all of those positions right where you get to see people who are trans you get to see people who are non-binary you get to see people who are queer who are women who are men but no one's ever broken down to like their 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 genitalia right like it could be so tempting if a different author had control of this someone who didn't really care about trans non-binary sex workers queer folks it could be salacious to show like someone's genitalia and be like oh look what you thought and it's like that doesn't that doesn't happen right like it's just so natural in that community to just like fuck and love each other and be in it that's such a minor detail you know right totally yeah i i'm just gonna keep saying it's a really really good series (laughs) (laughs) we do that yeah that's we do like comic of the week and every time we're just like it's really good. 
it's like beautiful. I think the beautiful word was the one that we used like 700 times it's last week. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, this is also like, so beautiful. I bawled my eyes out reading this several times. Like just, yeah. I was so inspired. You know, I take my sexual freedom for granted, absolutely. And I have always really identified as sexuality and the ability to be slutty is important to my life. And I take that for granted. And it's like to see that threatened so specifically was like, it it really echoed something I feel in my, in our culture and in my own like yeah. upbringing. You know, I, I, I grew up with a really conservative adoptive family and, you know, I've, I just, it felt so, um, validating right like it's like no you're not crazy this shit is wrong like all like yes it's an extreme form of the repression and oppression you experience but like you're right that is fucked up you're right that that is the wrong thing to happen and you're right to feel like you want to fight about it you know i just felt like this book was like yeah bitch fight your fight and i was like yeah i will Not to go back to this, but I think it's really different from The Handmaid's Tale because The Handmaid's Tale, always kind of a story about oppression, but not having autonomy. Like she uh, sides with her oppressors a lot throughout the book and throughout the series at certain points. It's kind of, to me, the normalizing of oppression and fascism is what drives that storyline. Whereas this, it's the fight against all of those things, right? Right. So Yeah, I think it was just at the time very easy to make dystopian reference of, look, there are women in this, and also there's oppression in a dystopia, like Handmaid's Tale. They're talking about (laughs) sex, like Handmaid's Tale. There you go. And I'm like, that's not, it's not, okay. All right, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. Also, The Handmaid's Tale is notoriously white as fuck. The new adaptation, I know, diversifies it, but notoriously not good representation of women of color. And also not really any trans people at all. So, I mean, that's a big problem. Absolutely. As much as they have gone forward, I mean, they have like the lesbian character, the bisexual character, and those characters help (laughs) talk about what happens whenever you know, you don't fit into gender norms. And I think that that is really important. But whenever you have a story that's about um, gender and you don't have any trans representation whatsoever, yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, It'll, it always boggles my mind. I'm like, what? Oh, right, right, right. Margaret Atwood. That's why. Right. That's what did that. Um, yeah, I mean, and in contrast, SFSX. Ooh, did I get it right that time? SFX. Uh, yeah, I can't do it. That's, that's, that's <laughs> now. God damn it, <laughs> Fabian. Um, and yeah, I just <laughs> I think that it is. Ah, oh God, it's like one of my favorite books I've probably ever read. Too. God, I'm just gonna keep like oh, yeah. ratcheting it up level on level. By the end of this, I'm gonna be like, it's the number one book <laughs> in the world. You know, well, yeah. sex. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I love it so fucking much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially after we just, I mean, for this podcast, we did a ton of reading through of things where we're just like, this is awful. I hate it. I'm going to set it on fire. This is the worst. (laughs) And then you read Safe Sex and you're like, oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm in a totally different universe now. And even though there's like oppressive qualities to it, you know, it's all about how you can rebel against that. So it's actually a very inspirational read. And especially again, (laughs) after reading all the garbage we read getting to this yeah we, i mean dear god you know i was just thinking about is jones and that character in sfx yeah. because i think you're right sarah like there's such amazing representation in this book 
you know, it's weird to call it representation because it's like it's just called fucking good writing. Like it really is not just treating good people like props and objects and like morals. If you treat people like I don't know people, then you have better writing, and that's that's what it boils down to. But I think I, I keep coming back to Jones because you know it's this character who ends up being this symbol of you know fear of hope of you know they want to save jones because jones has been taken by the the fascist regime and they're you know they're like, we got to get to jones jones is like our person jones founded this you know jones is us and his home and then to see how they have to sort of again turn from the single character right like the single character who should we have to have this person or we'll lose to like oh my god we've already lost that person spoiler and so now who do we become and how do we build power together in the face of this loss and i just don't think we have a lot of comics that do that right <laughs> they're like let's sit down and have a hard conversation about what happens when your comrades turn on you and it's like this is great it's and, and not that jones did of her own will right but, but like i mean it happened she still did yeah, yeah. you know this comic is cool. It's great. So, <laughs> you should read like, it. It's great. Every person. Yeah. I mean, I think every person that listens to this podcast almost specifically would want to pick it up. But yeah, for sure. I can't say for sure, but. <laughs> I no, I can't. It seems on brand. <laughs> it's bitches in comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're the bitches talking about the bitches in that comic. It's good. It's good stuff. Good evening, everyone. Pride is a great month of time. We've all been enjoying it. But what's most important is is that we have a great roster of Pride guests, and we obviously prioritize queer everything. So if you want to support us in doing that and keep the podcast going, we have a Patreon that you can subscribe to for as little as $2 or as much as as many dollars as you would like. <laughs> Infinity dollars is actually one of the options if you would like to give us that. You don't have to. Two is fine. None is fine. I mean, keep listening, you know, have a great time. But you get all kinds of extra content if you sign up for any of the tiers. So even if you only subscribe for $2, that means you get the extended episodes, you get all of this extra stuff. Reading lists, you get media reviews, you get comic characters histories. We tried to be drunk while doing them, but we're just such fucking nerds. It's just hell of informative. It's amazing. We have so much fun. And you know what? Sometimes we're just like, hey, want to do an extra episode? Yeah, I think I do. And then we just drop one for everybody. Come join us. It's a super fun community. We've got 25 people with us and we want you to help us make it 30, 40, a million, 4 billion, whatever works. Two or infinity. Choose one or the other, please. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea, 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Jiggy, I also, I really enjoyed poking around your website and reading your article about bottoming. And I just oh, want to, I want to, I would love I definitely wrote. <laughs> I just was <laughs> like, Chingy's is bottoming as an art. And I want to hear more about that. So the article, which you're mentioning, uh, uh, which I call my bottoms manifesto, or I'm a much better <laughs> bottom than you. Here's why. Uh, <laughs> definitely so funny. a thing I decided to write one day. And literally the only <laughs> blog post on my entire website. It's just about me and then that. I just feel very <laughs> spiritual about it almost. I was very convinced by your article. I was like, Thank you. yeah, Chinky is the best bottom. Like, I don't even know how we'd argue now, you know? And now, I, and now I'm here like, uh, yeah, bottoming. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I agree that I'm right. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's come to the point where anytime anyone reads it, they're like, wow, I think I feel differently as a person now. I'm like, great. Then I did my job in writing <laughs> that ridiculous post. I don't know. I just know there's a lot of people who have bad sex and think either they're bad at sex or their needs aren't being satisfied. And I'm like, well, have you done these things? Are you like communicating <laughs> what you want with your sexual partners? Are you like, expecting reasonable things from them are you expecting reasonable things from yourself if not this may be the problem it could apply to a lot of different things but also it applies to bad bottoms lazy bottoms and I'm like hey (laughs) why are you doing this well I was gonna say you know I thought it was really good too you know I've always tried to like you know my straight friends who are like who's the bottom who's the top and all the stuff i've been like let's talk about what you're asking people i think what you wrote is a hilarious and i was like not expecting such a uh heartfelt manifesto but i was convinced but then also i think it's like a good way to actually think about power dynamics in stories and in comics because i think you know we see that in sfsx we see you know the people like avery who maybe is trying to be a little bit more go with the flow she wants to preserve what little freedom she has you know that's where we find her after the raid in the first issue is trying to get a straight job i use that term on purpose and she like has to grapple with like no if, if i want something different i have to create something different and it's just different things than like a bottom in a conversation with a sexual partner but i felt like it was an interesting model to think about like how does bottoming and topping apply to storytelling how does it apply to power dynamics because it is what we're talking about right yeah yeah how does it apply to storytelling <laughs> i want to know that's a great yeah, that's well, a great point. I was I was definitely thinking about that. And yeah. 
I wanted to know about your Emma Frost feelings. Um, Did you? <laughs> I have some too. Emma Frost is also, Emma Frost and Jean Grey are definitely mentioned in uh, I'm a Much Better Bottom Than You, Here's Why, in my section <laughs> in which I explained that tops are not telepathic. Um, <laughs> and do not know what you want unless you ask for it. Emma Frost feelings. Uh, man, there are many. So I made a list uh, <laughs> like a year ago in my free time about every sex worker, like named sex worker character who's in more than one scene uh, that appears in Marvel Comics. I got about 25. 12 of them, no, 13 of them were mutants. Mm. Yeah, the vast majority of the characters I found either who had been sex workers uh, out of the top 10 named ones uh, either appeared in X-Men comics mostly or Daredevil comics mostly, which... <laughs> Daredevil, goddammit. <laughs> and usually between like the late 80s to the early 2010s, which is when totally. comics fun little edgy period was happening. <laughs> but Emma Frost, who is the queen, uh, I love Emma Frost. I think we've both discussed loving Emma Frost. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I explicitly said this comic made me gay. Um, you did but, say that. Those were your words. Yeah. That is like love. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that I was, what was it that uh, Marvel, oh, geez, it's like classic X-Men. I read this comic it just uh, I think when I was like 10 years old or something and it has uh, Emma Frost kind of just berating she's just berating this girl yeah she, this girl's like don't you think that's a little bit degrading and she's like let me tell you what's degrading it's degrading <laughs> when you off. do it <laughs> yeah like there's some really great points there but also it's like a little bit messy but yeah, she goes very Camille Paleo there for a second where she's just like, if you want power, you just have to take it. But there is still some some gems of knowledge, which for my 10-year-old brain, I'm sure really <laughs> helped me along is all I'm going to say. Um, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think this is about something that they're not saying. <laughs> I think that there's more to this than what I'm seeing. I don't know. That story was bonkers because she's kind of stepping in. Once again, it's like she's totally <laughs> degrading this other girl, but she's also kind of being powerful, right? And then it just changes like almost every time you see Emma Frost. It's like what vibe the writer is going for with Emma Frost and sex work is basically just like, well, what were they feeling that day? Because like there's not really a lot of consistency. I mean, I think Emma Frost is generally like the personification of comics relationship with sex work. She's the character who most like still embodies anything related to sex work in her character's backstory or anything. Doesn't mm -hmm. shy from it. But a lot of people can make that into her being like, a lot of men are like, oh, she's a fucking bitch. Like we hate her. And then... <laughs> Like, when there's good writers, they're like, oh, my God, she's a fucking bitch. We love her. Um, it just really. <laughs> say, yeah. Whenever we would ask people, like, who their favorite bitch in comics was, inevitably, Emma Frost was, like, one of the first three out of their mouths. And it's like, yeah, because she's the fucking shit. <laughs> like, yeah, there's just great. a portion of your podcast that what's your favorite bitch in comics and why is it Emma Frost? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's actually our other Basically, podcast. Yeah. We have a whole other podcast, but we just <laughs> ask that. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that with Emma, there's there's so much to this character, right? Um, I She's the character who every time I write an article about her, somebody in the comments will call me a misogynist. And then they'll realize that they're talking to a woman and then they'll be like, I'm just so surprised that like Grant Morrison has brainwashed you into this anti-feminist agenda and stuff like that. And I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Like, that's fine. (laughs) You can be mad about Emma, I guess, if you want. Like, it's fine. We also both like to read her as trans. I don't know if if you do, Chingy, but Sarah and I both were like, yeah, that's I was unfamiliar with that read, but I support it. (laughs) Right? I'm like, yeah, it just... I like it. I just like her even better. Yeah, it makes Cyclops a better character. It makes everybody around her a better character (laughs) if she's been trans this whole time. Yeah, I was just thinking about when she's like so supportive of her gay brother and he's like, oh my God. And he's like creating a version of his dad to be mean to him. So sad. Such an incredible exploration (laughs) of internalized homophobia. Oh, and Iceman? Yeah, that is Iceman. You're right. And uh, reading her as trans is a concept that I had, I wasn't familiar with. Someone said it, Sarah and I were discussing it off the air, just like talking and that I just couldn't get out of my head. So like every time I see her now, I'm like, oh my God, of course. But there's this way that she talks to him that feels so different when I read her as trans. It feels less like, oh, the poor little gay kid. And more like, I hear you. I see you. I also grew up in that hell. You know, like I know how bad that was. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I definitely can see that read. There's almost just no way. I, it's like really difficult to read Emma as a straight character, right? And that's something that's, it's like the I same never as Mystique kind yeah. of for me. Yeah, where you're just kind of like, listen, I don't know what comics you're reading, but like Mystique multiple times like refers to her wife, you know? So I just, I don't really know. Yeah, just give her her wife. I had to tell you. It's all she wants is her wife back. Just God damn it. Give her wife, Moira. God. Seriously. <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, it's kind of the same with those two where I'm just like, you know, these both have always just read very queer to me. And it's hard to wrap your head around if you're trying to think of Emma as just, you know, a cis straight woman, because you're just like, hmm, are you sure though? Because it just it seems (laughs) like there has to be more to it. I don't know. Because it gives her like kind of a more interesting story, honestly. Her defensiveness makes more sense. Like, there's just all kinds of... The prosecution would be, like, double and triple what the other mutants get. So it just... I don't know. It just makes way more sense to me. But we will probably never see that in a comic ever. So, I don't know. But Emma Frost was great. Absolutely. Emma Frost is great. <laughs> She's really great. We I love, love her. <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't talk about, Chingy, that you want to discuss? Any cool projects you have coming up? Anything you're working on? I'm really just writing articles because people like reading articles right now. And mm-hmm. hopefully will like reading articles still after because that's my job at this moment. <laughs> yep. Deeply relatable. <laughs> Yeah, we we know what that's like. We're just like, go ahead and keep reading, folks. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, it's the day of the week where I just sent my editor my pitches. So I'm like, I don't know if any of these are going to get uh, approved. But this time I was like, hey, let me write a list of anime to watch if you are with someone who doesn't like anime. And just get oh. them like conversion, you know, but like the nice type of conversion. <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> The other one was about uh, 
a blog about My Strange Addiction, which is buying video games exclusively for their character creators and never actually playing the game. Uh, (laughs) Like, I'll just buy games that are bad if the character creator is good. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm really just doing those things. Uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff I would have wanted to talk about. I don't want to talk about X-23's history as a sex worker because it's bad, bad, not written well. Um, Yeah, I feel like I talked about the stuffs. Isn't X-23 just longer, worse Stacey X? (laughs) Like, it's just kind of them going, like, way harder on it? Way harder on it. And also, she's a teenager and also, like... Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Back to it and being like, oh, yes, that time when I was a teenage sex worker who used my claws to cut myself and... God, it was such a bad comic. Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like as bad as Saga. (laughs) Yeah, so we don't need to talk about that one. Um, But yeah, like I said, I'm on writing those things, hopefully, and at the Gay Chingy on Twitter and Instagram. Yay. Thank you so much for being here today. This has been just an absolute blast. It's a real treat to get to talk about sex work. It's so sad that we have so few good texts to discuss. (laughs) Yeah, I wish we had more texts to discuss, but there just really weren't a whole lot that were not horrible. Yeah, it's one of those things where it just repeats itself a bunch of times and it's like always the same five really shitty tropes. So yep. you're just like, let's go ahead and talk about how this is the same and everything. Or like you have like a Frank Miller take where it's like the sex workers now are in a gang and beating up all the dudes and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, but it's still fetishized yeah. really heavily. So it's just like you almost can't, other than safe sex, <laughs> the comic, yep. you kind of don't go in good directions pretty much in any. There's like ones where I'm like, that was less bad or like <laughs> that had <laughs> merit in certain places and wasn't offensive all of the time. But there's nothing that's pro decriminalization. There's nothing that's pro finding out how to support or you know, work with people. It's just like there's no compromise in any of those stories mm-hmm. ever. So it just makes it so hard yeah. <laughs> to talk about because it's like, this sucks. I don't even know how to tell somebody. It's like you're trying to go all the way back to the drawing board. To be <laughs> like, so here's where you went wrong when you were five years old and the first time you knew what a sex worker is. It started wrong there. And then you spent 40 years being wrong. So I don't know how to like go back and like tell people, I guess, because these are all writers that are like dudes in their 50s and stuff like that. And you're just like, all right. Yeah. Yeah, Like the closest to neutral that didn't meet any of the like typical tropes or not of the most of them were like uh, Vanessa Carlisle copycat in like that Deadpool negative one, which like for the most part, I mean, it's still not great. I mean, none of them are great. But it was, like, about her time as a street worker, um, and, like, I thought it was fine for the most part. It was, like, (laughs) she was, like, very much, it was a different trope. It was, like, one you don't see as much in comics, which is, like, the hooker with a heart of gold trope, uh, which I was, like, uh, this is is fine. I like copycat. (laughs) Uh, And then, like, the the other one was Typhoid Mary, who, like, Right. Her entire backstory is retconned in like one Daredevil Deadpool annual where like, oh, she was the like sex worker who got pushed out of the building by Daredevil that one time. And that's why she's Typhoid Mary. There we go. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, it's like not none of it's good. It's not good. <laughs> Except 
SFSX. Yeah, safe sex. <laughs> that shit is gold. <laughs> yeah, re-safe sex. Just going to say that 10 more times. Yeah. Well, this was mostly a really positive conversation. It was great. <laughs> and, you know, the truth of the matter is not all sex work representation is good. And by not all, we mean most is garbage ass bullshit. And SFSX, Safe Sex, is fantastic. You can find it on Comixology. I think they're on a little bit of a sale right now. So make sure you check them out. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. stranger, I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery, following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world, in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.